welcome to Bite Size Human Geography, a podcast meant for students and anyone who wants a better understanding of the world. We investigate global issues using human geography concepts. It's human geography made simple. Well, we are at the end of a very, very, very long first semester. Uh, Today, I wanted to spend a few minutes reviewing the development section of uh, human geography, especially if you're listening to, uh, if you are found this uh, searching for information for the AP human geography class, I wanted to spend some time reviewing development. So when I teach this in my class, uh, I know the the course description often shows um, industrial and economic development as topic seven uh, towards the end of the year, but I like to teach this actually right before I teach population migration because in my mind, you can't really get into population and migration unless you understand some basic concepts of development. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to review the concepts that I go over in my class um, in the fall semester. So if you have your course description, your CED, which you should if you're an AP Human Geography uh, student, go ahead and get that out in front of you. And even if you're not a Human Geography student uh, taking an AP class, this still works really, really well for any human geography class because honestly, the content is exactly the same as it should be for a college class because AP Human Geography is a college level class, right? So if you have the course and exam description that you can get from the college board, go ahead and turn to topic 7.2. Um, I have it in front of me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over this section with you. This is levels of economic activity. I think this is a really great place to begin discussing um, global development. So uh, when you're looking at levels of economic activity, this pretty much tells you everything that you need to know about a country and its progress. You can learn an awful lot about a country by finding out how do they make the majority of your money. And this is what levels of economic activity or the economic sectors tell you. And this is a really good layering of information um, in addition to all the other clues that we tend to put together uh, in this first semester learning about the world around us. So we start off with this concept of economic sectors, and the first one is primary economic activities. These are economic activities that involve extracting resources from the earth. So whether it's oil or whether it's harvesting trees or harvesting palm uh, for palm oil, uh, economic, primary economic activities involve extracting resources from the earth. And so, it, you, as you can imagine, it doesn't necessarily require high levels of education. And so that's why oftentimes you see countries that are not as developed, uh, they make a bulk, the bulk of their um, income from primary economic activities. Secondary economic activities involve the conversion, um, the manufacturing of those all of those resources that were gathered up in the primary economic activity. So this is basically the manufacturing sector. Uh, so if you think of factories, um, whether it's agricultural production and, you know, you take wheat and you turn it into uh, cereal or, or corn and you turn it into Doritos, it's the manufacturing of things or taking petroleum and converting it in, into, you know, gas that you can put in your car that's going to be secondary economic activities. And of course, as you can imagine, this requires a bit more education than what you see in primary economic activities. And once again, when you're looking at countries as they develop uh, and as they have more um, education, it makes sense that they're going to be having more and more people involved in secondary economic activities. And also something to keep in mind is as we move up this ladder of economic activity, these jobs tend to pay more. So more often than not, secondary economic activities pay more than primary economic activities. 
Uh, now let's move on to tertiary economic activities. And this one's an important one. So if you're taking notes as you're listening to this, I would star this in your notes or maybe highlight it. Because tertiary economic activities, this is going to be the bulk of our more developed countries, right? We used to say first world and third world. We don't use those terms anymore. Uh, we like to say MDCs for more developed countries and LDCs. Um, or sometimes you'll see it as M, uh, more developed. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll just say MDCs and LDCs. But tertiary economic activities and MDCs, this is going to account for probably 70 to 80% of a country's economy. So like the United States, uh, we have more than 80% of our economy involved in tertiary economic activities. This is also called the service sector because this is what's being provided here. You're not manufacturing stuff, you're providing a service. This is your brain power. So these are going to be uh, doctors and attorneys and teachers, uh, salespeople, uh, people who drive uh, trucks for a living. There's so many people involved in the tertiary sector, people who work at Disney World, uh, Walmart greeters, people who are scanning your groceries at Walmart, people who are stocking uh, the grocery stores at your local grocery store. All of these are tertiary accountants. <laughs> you can see it's a huge chunk of an MDC's economy. And the problem with the tertiary, well, not the problem, but one of the issues with the tertiary sector is that it is heavily, heavily dependent upon uh, times uh, being great. So when times are not great, like right now in the midst of COVID, it ha can have a devastating impact on uh, people's income. So think about um, all of those greeters that, that we're not seeing at places like Disney World, They've all been been laid off. They've all been let go because nobody's going to Disney World right now, or maybe very few people are going to Disney World right now. As we continue up the uh, economic sectors to quaternary economic activities, uh, these are going to be economic activities where that require more education. Uh, so oftentimes this is going to be uh, research, uh, like university level research. So when we think about uh, people that are involved in researching and creating a COVID vaccine, those are going to be people in the quaternary sector. And like I told you before, as you move up through these levels of economic activity, more often than not, they require higher levels of education, which also means that they're go you're going to have higher levels of remuneration or salary or uh, how you get paid, just because you're getting paid for your education. Uh, finally, quinary economic activities, these are people at the very top, right? At the top of the hierarchy. These are gonna be your CEOs, uh, your COOs, your governors, your presidents of, of countries, they have a tremendous amount of power and they have power to make things happen. So in corporations, they're the ones who, if you know you have some research that's happening in the quaternary level, they're the ones that tell uh, the people in the tertiary level, okay, we're going to go ahead and sell this, whatever this product is that we're making, uh, make it happen. Okay, they're the decision makers. And as you can imagine, uh, they have a, a tremendous amount of um, economic clout. And of course, they get paid accordingly. So this is our levels of economic activity. And if you are taking this as an AP class, I have to tell you that this is a source of great FRQ material. 
so it's really important that you spend some time and, and understand this. Uh, not only could you have tons of, of multiple choice questions asked from here, but it just lends itself really well to FRQ material to really be able to demonstrate your knowledge of these levels of economic activity, to be able to make the connection between levels of economic activity and development. So I would have in your arsenal, I would make sure that you can connect countries to levels of economic activity, right? So if a country is heavily involved in manufacturing, that would be a secondary, uh, a country that gets the bulk of its income from secondary, um, the secondary sector. Uh, but so make sure that you can give specific examples of each, but also make sure that you can give specific examples of these activities so that you know that uh, making pencils, right, harvesting the wood would be primary economic activities. Making the pencil itself would be secondary economic activities. Transporting the pencil from the factory to Target or to your local grocery store would be tertiary economic activities. The accountant at the, the pencil place at maybe Ticonderoga would be uh, tertiary. So um, anyway, as long as you can take those through, I think you're set. So I want to move on to, uh, if you have that course description in your hands, to topic 7.4, which has to do with women and economic development. And uh, as I tell my students, it's really probably in the third or fourth week of class, if you are looking for a magic answer in, in human geography, it has to do with women and levels of education. Uh, because um, as women's education levels increase, basically all economic factors uh, in a country begin to increase. And it really is the magic solution. Education is the magic answer to so many of the world's ills, uh, which you really begin to see play out um, as you be as you study this class and study the, the content of this class. So uh, just something to kind of keep in mind that um, as women begin to get more begin to get more education, they begin to do things other than just stay at home and have children, right? They're able to go get a job. Well, if they're able to go get a job, then they're able to bring money home and it benefits their family. And then maybe their children can get an education. And that really begins to change uh, the, the whole structure of the whole fabric of the, of a society of a country. So just to recap, there's a direct relationship between uh, basically as women's education levels increase, the GDP uh, for a country increases as well. One other thing to keep in mind when we're discussing women and economic development is this concept of micro loans or micro credit. These are small loans that are given to women uh, by company by organizations like the Grameen Bank, and I put a link in the show notes uh, to give you a little overview of how micro loans work. But, but micro loans are almost specifically geared towards women because the thought is is that women and I hate saying this, but that women are more responsible with money because when their children are involved, those protective instincts kick in. And so they want to make sure that they're not, you know, wasting money on any number of different things. Watch the video. The video talks quite a bit about this. Uh, but microloans uh, create, create a huge difference in the lives of many, many women. And these are small loans, maybe anywhere from fifty to one hundred dollars, uh, but uh, it, it has created just this tremendous change in countries like Bangladesh or India or places like Guatemala, 
where uh, these small loans are given to women and they're able to do things like have a store or uh, create, you know, some kind of um, knitting business or uh, like in, in one of the videos I posted a sorry business. So uh, just making sure that you understand the impact of microloans on the role of women and how that impacts development is an important aspect to this class. So moving on to topic 7.3, which is in your uh, course description, if you're taking AP Human Geography, is this concept of measures of development. And if you're looking at the document where it talks about essential knowledge, all of these terms here, GDP, GNP, GNI, um, all of these terms are really important that you know, and I'm not going to take the time to define those. You can, hopefully your teacher has given you some uh, vocabulary to, uh, cards or, or some kind of vocabulary activity to, for you to be able to develop those. But if you don't know them, you need to make sure that you look those up uh, because they are really important and you have to be able to differentiate between what these mean. But when you're looking at uh, measures of development, there are a couple of things to think about. First of all, the link to levels of economic activity. Um, and in this section, it talks about this connection between um, development and um, resources. And you can see on, on the document, it says use of fossil fuels and renewable energy. Something to kind of consider is that MDCs really have the luxury of being able to care about things like renewables, right? We have high levels of education. Um, the majority of the people that live in MDCs are able to uh, feed themselves, are able to, they have housing. And so focusing on uh, kind of the extras, as my students always call it, this is this extra. Uh, focusing on renewable energy is actually an extra because if you're an LDC and your citizens are just struggling to survive, right? Just struggling to deal with day-to-day -day issues, which are survival. This is not a, hey, I lost my iPhone or, oh man, you know, the Starbucks line was really long and oh gosh, you know, or they, they sold out of the Xbox I wanted to get for Christmas. This is, I have to make sure that my child isn't going to die of something like dysentery, okay? When you are a country that is focused uh, as an LDC, as LDCs often are, on, on just being able to survive, you're not going to be focused on things like renewable energy resources. You want something that works. Um, and, and quite frankly, you have to have something that works because having a solid infrastructure, especially with regards to energy, is really critical for a country to develop. Countries that don't have solid energy infrastructure can't develop because they can't manufacture. Uh, I've had many of my students that have traveled all over the world and maybe have families all over the world, and they'll tell me stories about when they go to countries that are uh, still developing and how frustrating it is when the power goes out or how frustrating it is that they don't have uh, basic sanitation. So when you're focused on those things as a country, you're not going to be focused on renewables. And so MDCs are focused on renewables, right? They're focusing focusing on saving the planet um, and uh, energy resources. But LDCs, they're just simply focused on, on trying to get by and, and trying to slowly get ahead. Uh, but of course, we know that the way that you get ahead of is education, especially education of young girls. The last item that I want to review in this section 7.3 is the concept of the Human Development Index. And um, HDI, uh, and I've linked to it at the bottom of the show notes, this is something that was created by the United Nations to try and show how countries develop differently 
and uh, where they are on along the progress to development. And there's three separate areas that really dictate HDI levels. It's measured on a scale from zero to one, and the closer to zero that you are, the less developed the UN says that you are, and the closer to one that you are, the more developed. So for instance, Afghanistan is at a, I just looked it up, is at a 0.496 development level, and Denmark is at a 0.93 development level. So it's those are really good examples of just kind of showing you the difference between states, between countries and their development. But Human Development Index really uses three separate measures to calculate out that HDI. And uh, the first is life expectancy. So it's a pretty good indicator because if you, and I wish, this is one, one of those cases where I wish I had a visual, but if you were to pull up uh, a life expectancy map of the planet, uh, this would be a good indicator as far as development because countries on the planet that have high levels of life expectancy, so people live a long time, they tend to have higher levels of development, right? In countries that where people don't live very long, something's going on there. Um, some, there's something either maybe malnutrition or maybe perhaps war that's happening there to cause those lower life expectancy levels. Also, another development um, aspect of a development measure for HDI is years of schooling. So how long is someone in school? So once again, when you have countries that are more developed, more often than not, kids are, they go at least all the way through high school, at least in the United States, as we call it high school. And uh, for in the United States, that, that tends to end right around the age of 18. And then, of course, also thinking about do kids go on to some type of education post-secondary, meaning post-high school. So that could be college or maybe some kind of junior college. Once again, that's the model that's here in the United States. Uh, and of course, countries that don't have those high levels of economic activity, especially with regards to the role of women, as I've told you before, that's the magic answer for everything. And if you have lower education levels, then it stands to reason that you're going to have a lower level of development. And then finally, the last measure is what we call a decent standard of living. And that's measured by a GNI, which is gross national income per capita. And per capita means per head. So just kind of think about a baseball cap being on your head. Uh, and the higher levels of GNI. So a lot of times kids uh, try and frame that as, you know, how much are, are people bringing home every month? Like what's their salary? But that's not really what the measure is. It's it's all of that and then averaged out by uh, the number of the, the, basically your population levels that you have. So just as you can imagine, the higher levels of a gross national income, the better development that you or the higher levels of development that you have within a country. All right. So that's it. I kept it under 20 minutes. I was trying hard to get that done. Uh, so I hope this helps you to review at least a portion of economic development for human geography. I wish you the best of luck in your classes. And I hope you have a fantastic second semester.